Coming up on Amazing But True, with the season opener less than three weeks away, will we see Joanna Cespedes on opening day? Does Steven Matz make the rotation? And who's this team's closer anyway? We address all the spring training question marks with New York Post Mets beat writer Mike Puma. We are also joined by a fan favorite, one of my favorites, who will go into the Mets Hall of Fame this May. It's Fonzie. Fonzie! Hey! Edgardo Alfonso joins us. All that and more next on the debut of Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Amazing But True, a New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Jake Brown, alongside my esteemed, my established co-host, former Mets pitcher and Emmy Award winner, Nelson Figueroa. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us five stars. Write a nice review. We are joined today by a guy we'll speak with all season long, Mets beat writer for The Post, Mike Puma. We're also joined by a former Mets All-Star, a member of the 2000 NL Champion Mets. Get your leather jackets on and your thumbs up. It's Fonzie. Edgardo Alfonso joins the program. We got a lot to do, Figgy, in the debut of the show, so let's get to it. Amazing but true. We're here, Figgy, and people are pumped. Like, a lot of people on Twitter are tweeting you. They're pumped to hear you back-talking Mets. You know, you win an Emmy at SNY. I think you got a face made more for radio and podcasting, to be <laughs> honest. But, you know, there are a lot of women who think you're you're a handsome man. I do think you have some grays growing in your beard. But, you know, you're it's a sharp-looking dude. And we're excited to bring you this show. And I know you're excited to be talking Mets. Yeah, it's definitely uh, good to be back and having my voice heard over the mainstream. I think uh, people who know me and have known me for quite some time and around the game uh i love this team i love this team since i was a kid and I, I i root for this team but it was uh very hard at times to watch this team and having to separate the analyst and the fan was a difficult task but i think that's what made me really good at my job so i'm excited to do it and do it all year long here with the new york post and you know i like to say emmy award winner because i do think i like to gas you up a little bit as my co-host and as my pal <laughs> i've hung out with you enough now that i could sense you sent you i could smell your scent from a mile away there's like a figgy scent to you <laughs> that i smell as soon as he walks in it's like oh figgy's down the hall it's axe it's axe body spray axe it's axe body you still spray. use axe that's right bro we got to get you some cologne we might have to get a cologne, cologne sponsorship hey, i'm a big cologne guy i could say that you know who else might be a cologne guy is noah syndergaard who <laughs> likes to really wear nothing these days <laughs> and he was on the backfield and he tweeted you know sny they caught me invading my privacy putting us dad bods to shame and i'm not even a dad i like to say i'm a dad bod you are a dad you kind of have a dad bod uh he's just going almost naked he's in his underwear you know a lot of women probably love it for us we're we're a little jealous of the body but would you ever do that did you ever do that no and i, I think in this day and age the only time that you should be doing that is like motion capture stuff for the video game or driveline facility you see those guys doing it because you want to wear as little as possible so that you know they catch good footage sny caught good footage kudos to them for being at the right place at the right time being able to peer out at the backfields and uh caught noah slipping i would say uh he was doing it early on in spring training because it 
wasn't, you know, the, the clock hadn't been punched in yet. But as soon as uh, he started doing it, the team, you know, hazed him. And everybody stretched shirtless one day just to uh, get, let them know what it looks like to them. But, you know, you want to show off and you want to feel good about your body. I get it. But uh, there's, a, there's a time and place. If there's not beach around and there's not some uh, water or somewhere I can kick back, then I'm not taking off my shirt for that. The kids today call it a thirst trap. It's thirst trapping. And he's, <laughs> he's letting the body out. And I guess if I looked that good and I had that good of a body, I would do the same. So you can't blame him. The key will be his performance. You know, there's a lot of drama surrounding Noah and catcher and him wanting to personalize who his catcher was with his inconsistencies. He had a lot, of, a couple outings where he gave a five, six runs. He got rocked some days. Some days he was great. Some days he was in between. He's going to have to go out there every five days and be great again. I think he could be naked, whatever it is. <laughs> go throw, you know, 30 starts. Three ERA, go win yourself 15 games and put together an all-around great season, and people won't care what you're wearing. Yeah, the physical gifts are undeniable, right? And you look at the tools that he has, undeniable. But the problem is is that it seems like it's all smoke and mirrors when it comes to the actual performance side of things. That's where most fans and most baseball people are left scratching their head. This guy has the stuff to be not just a frontline starter, but should be one of the top five pitchers in all of baseball every single year, as long as he's healthy. He, you know, everybody gets injured at some point. He had some weird injuries. He had the finger thing going for a little while. But there has been a multitude of not excuses, but I think what you want is this guy to mentally be as free as possible so that the body and the mind can match up at the same time. And so if he's worried about who's catching him and he feels like he's not vibing with that catcher, uh, Rene Rivera caught him and caught him so well, he was pitching to a two ERA. That's something as a pitcher, man, you look forward to that because you don't care about how Rene Rivera hits. You care about how he catches you, how he vibes with you. Rene Rivera would let him pitch like almost like a Nelson Figueroa where he was pitching backwards. And a guy who throws 100 miles an hour having to be, you know, pedal to the metal the whole time trying to throw the ball through the strike zone and he's wasting, you know, 25 pitches that are fouled off by a little slap-hitting second baseman, that's not what the goal is, right? You want to make that slap-hitting second baseman hit a slider weekly to second base, one pitch, one out, let's keep it moving. Let me save all my good stuff for the, you know, meat of the lineup. That's the problem is that if you have to think or overthink as a pitcher, it freezes you up physically because you're trying to do more. Every time that ball gets hit, well, I didn't throw that one good enough. I didn't throw that one hard enough. I didn't I could do better. Yeah, you can do better, but then you start looking, f instead of the blame game being, man, I didn't execute my pitch, well, I don't think he called the right pitch. I don't think we had the right sequences, and he's not seeing how I want to you know, map out this game plan. That's something that Noah has to do on his own and has to have the confidence that they're on the same page from pitch one. And the issue with that is that, and I love how you said body and mind, I felt like I started meditating in a little goose frabba and sitting here <laughs> uh, in a quiet meditation session, is that the drop-off is huge from Wilson Ramos to the backup, and that's why you got to go out and get someone like a Russell Martin or get a, a veteran backup catcher, and that's something the Mets have lacked for years. It's always been Tomas Nito. No offense, but Anthony Recker. I know we'll see him on TV. They've had a lot of scrub backup catchers, and they got to get a good backup catcher because, you know, Wilson Ramos is a big fella. He needs days off. You want him playing for his bat, but he's a big fella, so you want him sitting maybe twice a week potentially, and you want those two games you want to bat in there, and the drop-off has always been huge, so they got to address that issue. Uh, spring training games in general. This is why we're talking about Noah and the dad bod and, and the thirst traps because these stats don't matter. 
with Figgy, mm-hmm. and you can address this being yep. a guy who pitched in plenty of spring trainings and was fighting for roster spots. For you, it might have mattered. Your stats matter. But now you look back as a fan, and I hate when people break down stats like Batantis got rocked in his debut. He's going to have a terrible year. <laughs> this is the time where you need to screw up so you can improve and get better. So wins, losses, ERA, none of that matters until March 26th when the Mets take the field at City Field. This is still the time where I think the uh, sabermetrics is what you're trying to impress yourself with. You're trying to impress yourself with a new grip on a slider that gets you more spin rate, a tighter spin, changes the look of your pitches. Because if you're a guy who's already had four or five years in the big leagues and you don't have that swing and miss pitch, you're trying to develop that right now. And if it's not swing and missed yet, from the first game to the fifth game, you want to see improvements along the way. So you don't worry about that. that. There's no coaching staff that's worried about that. There's no one sitting there going, oh my God, he has a 12 ERA in spring training. There's a lot of things that go into play. There's numbers like, you know, how much is he making? That makes him make the team ahead of somebody. I've had zero ERAs. I've had ERAs, you know, in the 10s. And I felt I was pitching better with sometimes with the 10 ERA. I might have had one bad inning, but you don't get a lot of work in. So there's a, a process to it. There's a, you want to be able to do it against the middle of a real lineup. You don't want to have to do it against seven non-roster invitees and a couple of minor leaguers. You want to say, hey, I faced the real Astros team, their starting lineup, and I was able to go through them unscathed. That goes a much longer way than what happens early on in spring training. I don't start watching or really counting spring training games until I see full lineups of major league teams, guys that played in the big leagues last year. And there's a lot of stuff we're going to also have to address from this offseason. We'll do that here in the coming weeks on Amazing But True is the ownership saga that story at some point figgy is going to come to a close you think that a new owner is on the way this season at some point does it happen before the year during the year that is yet to be seen Luis rojas a guy that that coached you back in the day can mm-hmm. you recount your stories working with Luis Luis rojas yeah you know i was with escojito out in uh, dominican republic and moises alu is the gm and rojas was on the staff with us and this guy was meticulous he sat back and learned and listened and watched and that's what usually the good coaches do good coaches become good managers because they aren't the rah-rah type guys. They're taking in a whole bunch of information. They're learning from a whole bunch of different aspects. We were a championship team. We won three out of four straight years, and he was a part of that. Um, you know, his work with the younger players, and when I say younger players, you're talking about guys like Starling Marte, and you're talking about uh, Gregory Polanco, the guys that you didn't know were superstars until years later. He was the one that was doing all the dirty work with these guys and getting them prepared and preparing them at, at a, a major league level. Not It wasn't a winter ball, you know, I'm on the bench kind of thing. You're looking at guys that really took off at when they got an opportunity because they were already prepared. And Rojas has been great at that. That's why he was the quality control guy with the Mets. And he was that person that could take the information and translate it, not just in English and Spanish, but translate it into baseball talk and make baseball players understand what they're trying to get these guys to do. And we're going to learn English and Spanish from guys like Jose Reyes this season. We're excited at some yes, point sir. to have Jose on. We're excited for Ricardo Alfonso, a guy that I loved as a nine-year-old the Mets made the World Series in 2000 he's going to join us this episode Luis Rojas is going to be interesting because I was ready to break out that Carlos Beltran jersey I found it I had the black Beltran jersey it still fit me clearly I ate a lot of cheese doodles in high school that I was very fat in high school uh still fat now a true face made for podcasting here on amazing but true 
We're going to be joined recurring segments by a lot of people. One of those people is going to be Doc Gooden. And Doc Gooden, I spoke with at the screening of The Way Back, which is out, which you should see with Ben Affleck. It's really a great story. And Doc spoke about it in mental health awareness and the issues that he's been through in his life. But he also talked about issues he had with you at Fantasy Camp. Listen up. The truth is, Nelson, obviously my friend, and to be honest with you, you know, he was on the mound throwing next to some guy like about 70 years old, so it made it seem like Nelson was throwing harder than he was. But the gun had him like about 65, and mm-hmm. he's definitely done. I mean, he could pitch probably at fantasy camp in and here, in and there, but nothing's there. He still would be dinner at Ruth Chris. He's been talking about it for two years, and I still haven't gotten it. So now it's two dinners. <laughs> oh, my God. There's such fallacies in those <laughs> statements right there. First of all, the guy was not 70. He was, you know – he was not 75 even. I think he might have even been older. But I don't care. I don't, you know, I have no friends when I get on the mound. And 65, listen, Doc couldn't throw 65 if he was driving 70 and threw it out the window. <laughs> Let's be real. Doc is a tremendous, tremendous person, man. I, I, I met him and instantly felt like we've known each other forever. And it wasn't just about, you know, in passing and when you meet each other, the fraternity of being on the Mets. and Because, uh, I mean, listen, it's Doc Gooden and Nelson Figueroa. You're talking about, you know, not apples and oranges. You're talking about apples and rocks. Mm-hmm. But you said it, not me. <laughs> no, it, it, and it's the truth. But the thing is, is that he makes you feel you're on his level as yeah. a person. And that's where we related. We related uh, just to uh, love of the game, uh, talking about baseball, talking about pitching. I'd often used to text him all the time just to, you know, what do you think about Jacob DeGrom? What do you think? He's, Man, guy's just incredible. He just keeps getting better and better and better. You know, we talked about Matt Harvey. We talked about all the different pitchers because he's a guy that, you know, I, I know – the things that he's been through all his experiences you know living it out through the media is totally different than when you know the person so i got to know the person and and he's a great person but he's a liar so how fast do you actually throw them i've gotten it up to 85 in fantasy camp and i don't care how old she was i went right (laughs) after her And made her swing and miss at my slider for strike three. So what? So what? That's the that's the goal of it. Oh, 72 B seven. <laughs> Bingo! Bingo! Hey. Uh. So th- the other thing is right when he talks about this steak dinner that I owe him at Ruth Chris. Two apparently. No, 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 no. That's because he eats two steak dinners at the same time. Oh. So it, it's 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 not dining for. <laughs> it's not dining for two people. It's really dining for you know two Doc Goodins and then me. That's really God, five that is people. A low blow, but you know, coming from a man who likes to eat two meals at once too, yeah, I totally get where Doc's coming from. Well, it, it, it all started because Doc, you know, likes to eat spicy food. So I, I saw him uh, when I first met him at fantasy camp. He was chomping on two bags of jalapeno chips at seven a.m. and I was like, man, it's you know real early for that. He's like, I love spicy food. I love spicy food. So I had told him about the hot ones that they have on. Uh, YouTube where they're eating the hot chicken wings and you have to answer questions so I wanted to uh, do that with Doc and he's like nah man I can't do that that's that's way too hot so he chickened out on the chicken wings now all of a sudden it's Ruth Chris you see how people get listen flex on him Doc I'm (laughs) I'm getting in on that tab you're gonna get me too you know I get you Chick-fil-A you get me Ruth Chris that's how it works around here that's how Uh, it works before we hand it off to Mike Puma who'll join us all season every week we're gonna try to bring you a poll question you can follow us on Twitter Figgy's gonna tweet it out I'll tweet it at FiggyNY that's F-I-G G-G-I-E-N-Y, and me, at Jake Brown Radio, will tweet it. Go vote, and we'll respond with the results next week. We're going to keep it simple this week. Nothing crazy, but we want to know who is the Mets' opening day closer. A, Edwin Diaz. B, Dellen Batances. C, Jaris Familia. D, Seth Lugo. And then if we want to throw an E in there, an other, the other, I guess, would be a committee. Do you go by who's hot and who's not? Uh, we want your answers, so tweet us there, and we'll put the poll up. Go vote. Let's dive into all the Mets storylines with the guy inside the locker room all season.
And joining us now, as he will all season long, is the esteemed Mets beat writer of the New York Post, Mike Puma. You can follow him on Twitter at NYPost underscore Mets. Read his stories in the post and at NYPost.com. Mike, how's it going, man? Welcome to the show. Great. It's good to be with you guys. I'm looking forward to this. This is uh, this is going to be fun this year. Yeah, it's going to be a fun year because it's the Mets. And Figgy, you know, I mean, you, you've been in the paper before. You know how it is. I mean, it's always a story with this team. You had endless storylines from ownership to the rotation to the bullpen in the offseason. But we got to start with the guy who's trying for a lot of incentives, and that's Yohannes Cespedes. What's going on with him? Are we going to see him in spring training games soon? Will he be ready for opening day? What's the latest with Yo? I get the sense. It's, it, it'd be a surprise to me at this point if he's ready for opening day. Now, he's he's been working out uh, in Port St. Lucie. He's been uh, hitting. He's been fielding. Hasn't been running bases yet, and that that that's something they, they want to see from him, obviously. You know, he, he's hitting the ball a long way in, in batting practice. He's out there shagging flies without too much movement. They're not making him run around a lot out there in the outfield. Uh, you know, it's kind of drills where the ball's hit right at him. But, you know, it, it's all going to predicate on how much he can move around. And, uh, you know, right now that next a step literally and figuratively uh, hasn't been taken. Yeah, you've seen him up close and personal. I mean, a lot of these guys have dropped severe weight. You look at Jerry's Familiar coming in best shape. How does his physical shape look to you? He, he looks like the you know the same old Cespedes. Certainly in batting practice, he still can hit it as far as he's ever hit it. I don't think that's the concern right now about him getting uh, those hitting skills back. You know, how much can the heels endure? Uh, he, you know, he said uh, when he, he spoke to the media after breaking his boycott uh, a week into it, he, he said, uh, you know, it's really the heels more than anything that the rehab process here, more than the uh, accident he had uh, on his ranch that, that caused the injury all right mike speaking of the walking wounded is, is jed lowry alive like is there any sign of this man et phone home where is jed lowry does he play this season does he make it for opening day where is jed lowry where is Jed Lowry is, is a darn good question. I, I see him around the clubhouse every day. He's got a, a big brace on, on his leg. Opening day, I, I'd, I'd say he's even more of a long shot for opening day than Cespedes right now. Uh, does he play this season? Gun to my head, I would say no. You know, I, I think the Mets are going to try to get him out there the, the best they can. Obviously, they're they're paying him on the back end of this contract after, you know, what did he appear in eight games last year, get eight at bats, something like that. I don't know. I, I think that there's some Something going on here that the Mets don't want to talk about. Jed Lowry doesn't want to talk about, and it's I think it's more extensive at this point than uh, just your garden variety uh, strained ligament in your knee or, or something along those lines. Which is really unfortunate because Jed Lowry was kind of one of those pieces, a, a little cog that could play anywhere and do anything. But when you look at this roster right now and you look at the depth that they have, are you really going to miss him? You'd like to be able to ideally plug him in at second base. So, you know, Cano obviously is 37 years old, is coming off of his own leg injuries. Jeff McNeil at third base. Now, he could he could slide over and play second, certainly, when Cano is not in there. And then you move J.D. Davis over to third. But it's... It, you're right. It's just like it's it's one more veteran piece that you'd like to have. If if you don't have that Lowry, maybe you're looking at hoping someone like Eduardo Nunez can be that. I don't, I don't know if he can at, at this point in his career. And you know who knows what Lowry is even if he comes back. This is a this is a guy who who essentially missed 
all of last season. So even if he comes back, you, you don't know what you have at this point. Just got a text from a source that said, better chance that Gardo Alfonso is ready for opening day than Jed Lowry. And I'm sure Mets fans would be glad to see him, the Mets Hall of Famer, Gardo Alfonso, who would join us in the program. The fifth starter spot, Mike, is a big question mark for this team. Michael Walker is under the assumption that he's starting, but, I mean, he's probably not. The way Steven Matz has pitched, and I don't look too deep in the spring training stats, but the way Matz has pitched and the fact that he's a lefty, you have to figure that Matz is the guy. But how do you see this fifth starter? spot playing out yeah I, I think I think I see Mets as the front runner right now certainly the the Mets have some nice uh rotation depth and that, that's it's a little bit of a nice problem they have now you know the question is what becomes of uh the other person in this case Michael Waka I, I I can almost see Waka um in, in a hybrid role this year get getting a handful of starts doing some long relief now remember last year one one of the few things that worked out in the bullpen was having Seth Lugo, who who kind of stepped up there and was pitched multiple innings. The only problem was after Lugo would pitch two innings, he couldn't pitch the next day. Well, what if you had a second guy like that? What if Michael Waka became like a, a second Seth Lugo for you that you could use on consecutive days? That would be a heck of a weapon if, if that materialized. Yeah, the only problem with that, though, is that he has to buy into it, honestly. And he came into spring training talking about, I'm a starter, I'm a starter, which seems to be caveman mentality these days, right? If you're looking to get paid in baseball, and you're looking, you couldn't command that kind of deal that you wanted, a four-year, you know, guaranteed money kind of contract, then you have to see the writings on the wall if you're Waka, right? You have to say, hey, I got to do whatever it takes to make myself valuable. You look at somebody like Nate Evaldi. Nate Evaldi didn't get that contract because he was a bona fide starter. They gave it to him because, hey, this guy could do anything at any time. He becomes a weapon. So I think Waka has to look at that and say, I'm going to do whatever I can to make this team better, not worry about my personal numbers because it's not about his numbers. That that got him the deal that he got with the Mets at only a $3 million deal. Yeah, and, you know, Seth Lugo falls into that same category. Here's a guy who was had his heart set on uh, becoming a starter this offseason. He's been vocal about how disappointed he is not to begin the shot in that rotation, but I think he also has come to understand how valuable he is. Now, you know, there's there's still a discrepancy. If, if you pitch well in, in that role, you're still not going to get paid what, what a – middle of the rotation starter is going to get but you know it's just a numbers thing right now and listen I think I think Waka will buy into it uh the same way Lugo has even though he, he wants to be a starter he understands the importance of his role and he's bought into it too most times I've said the word Waka since I watched the Muppets last which happens to be one of my favorite movies anytime I can get a Muppets reference in Mets podcast it's the best of both worlds Mike Puma joining us from the New York Post we switch over to the bullpen Mike and Dylan Batances has made his debut he said he's healthy you know he didn't pitch well but I think the fact that he says he's healthy and he's out there is what's important our poll question in the show is about who this closer might be what do you see Batances' role do you see that there being a shot at him being the opening day closer is it Diaz's job is it a committee What's your thoughts on the closer and uh, Batances and his health? Batances, just just the fact that he was able to get out there uh, with, with a couple of weeks of spring training games uh, left, certainly a good sign. Now he's he's coming back from uh, the, the torn Achilles. You don't want to rush him too much, you know. And I, I think uh, my colleague Ken Davidoff wrote a good column the other day, basically pointing out, listen, yeah, you'd love to have him for opening day, but you know what? If it takes two or three extra weeks, so what? You want uh, Dylan Batances for the long haul here, so. 
make sure he's right. Don't don't rush him. You know, as far as the closer's role goes, I think it's Edwin Diaz's to lose. Now, if he if he looks awful in camp and he hasn't looked awful, he's he's only had really a, a, a couple of shots in uh, the Grapefruit League. The, the first the first one was a little rough, and then uh, he's gotten better from there. I, I think it's Edwin Diaz's to lose right now, and uh, if if he's halfway respectable, they'll go into opening day with him in that role. Yeah. Now we want to come to, of course, the biggest question in the room was is Luis Rojas after all the controversy with managers this offseason the Mets settle in on Rojas how does the team look like it's responded to him thus far I think uh, there, there's a lot of respect for Rojas in that room now these guys got to know him last year when he was the quality control coach you know Robinson Cano who's really a leader in that room is a big Luis Rojas supporter and I, I think that helped get Rojas a job. It's kind of an extension of the front office because in that role as the quality control coach, he was kind of a go-between uh, between the, the front office and the coaching staff last year. So it's almost like you have a, a person from the front office coming down in a sense into the dugout and, and doing the managing. But Rojas has got the street cred from the fact that he's managed uh, in the minor leagues eight years in the system. Players know him. He's had so many of these guys at, at one level or another in the minors. Mike Puma, Mets beat writer for the New York Post. Follow him on Twitter at NYPost underscore Mets. Read his stories in the physical New York Post where you also see an ad of, of this show. Check him out at NYPost.com. Mike, we're looking forward to talking to you and all the baseball writers of the Post all season long. We appreciate you coming on and we'll talk to you soon. Puma. All right, guys. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be a fun year, like I said. And joining us now, he's never hit leadoff in his career, Figgy, at least in the big leagues. He was a staple of those 2000 Mets, those late 90s, early 2000 Mets that made the Subway Series World Series the great Fonzie. Hey, Edgardo Alfonso is on the debut of Amazing But True. Fonzie, what's going on, man? Thanks for coming on. Well, guys, uh, it's, it's a pleasure. It's really a pleasure uh, to be a, to be a leadoff guy, to be the first one, and hopefully this program is becoming to be good. Oh, it's going to be good. And, and you know, who's better than Fonzie to start it off? And you played second, you played third, you played all over. You were a Silver Slugger Award winner. You were an all-star and a staple of those teams. And this year you will be inducted into the Mets Hall of Fame on May 17th at City Field. That's got to be an awesome feeling for you, getting that uh, acknowledgement there. No, definitely, definitely. I think I think it's something that uh, as a player you're never thinking about that you never you never play because you want to be a Hall of Fame you just play because you like it and like you say I play second and third and whatever teams need me, need me to uh, to uh, to make the team better uh, that's what I did but now you know when um, when I received that call from Mr. Uh, uh, Wilpon and he told me about that it was it was like oh, wow I was especially for a minute it's so grateful to uh, to be part of the great great wall for the Met Hall of Fame. You know, I mean, it's, it's something that you're always thinking about, but now it's true. Fonzie, listen, uh, what are you up to now these days? I know there's a lot of fans uh, uh, that support you, love you, and want to keep uh, keeping tabs of what's going on with you. What are you up to these days? I'm uh, looking for a job, man. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I got nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I just, uh, I just right now I'm relaxed, um, you know, and uh, watching my sons play, and then let's see what happens. I mean, I would like to, like I, I said before, I would like to go back to the field. Doesn't matter what team, and uh, you know, you just, just be prepared for it. But so far, so far, so good. I mean, I just, just doing pretty much uh, cooking, uh, doing everything around the house, be the housemate right now, and that's, that's what I do right so far. I hear you, brother. You got a chance to manage with the Brooklyn Cyclones, and you were a coach there before. Going into that 
managerial role, how different was it to go from coach to manager? The first time I started working with the Mets, I told them that I want to be a coach. Uh, I don't want to be a manager yet because I want to learn because it's not easy. People think it's easy to transform it from, from player to manager. I mean, to me, I think it's kind of a little learning process, you know. So I did that for three years. Uh, I was doing like from uh, Tongamboa, which was uh, Ton Tongamboa was my uh, my uh, my teacher in, in that particular reason. So I, I really enjoyed doing the coaching, but uh, it's more fun when you become to be a manager. You got more uh, responsibility, and then uh, you really enjoy more because uh, everything is moved around you. And then uh, and then uh, I, I really enjoyed. I mean. It, I mean, I love the kids. Uh, I, I try to teach the the best way to uh, you know to promote it to to get to the big leagues, and they listen to you when you call the guy to the office and tell him, hey, this is the way it should be. This is the way you uh, you know you have to prepare yourself to get to the bit to the next level. And when the guy is looking at you, is 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 with that respect, and you can teach them more. You know, I mean, I feel so so great as a manager because you know you get more like under control and everything. Having a chance to win that championship, the only championship for the Brooklyn Cyclones. How special was it? Take us through what it was like during that, you know, that stretch run that you guys made there at the end. No, I mean, the guys did a tremendous job. I mean, those guys deserve it to win. I mean, that was, uh, I think, the, the second one, but the the first official, because I remember my brother, he was, uh, co- uh, he got him and uh, I don't know if he was, it was uh, co-champions, uh, right? Town. Co-champion, yeah. Right, right, right. That was in the 2000, 2001 when the, when the 9-11, 9/11 happened. Uh, like I said before, and I tell the people in Brooklyn, this is the real one. <laughs> I'm sorry about my brother, but this is the real one. But that's a great, I mean, that's a great uh, experience. I mean, the guy. Uh, you know, uh, you know, for the first game uh, through the whole season, we would ups and downs. Uh, you know, it's hard because you got guys who's who's really hot pitching, who's who know the league, and then and then just like that, they have to move on to the next level. Some guy had to move on, so you got to uh, regroup again. Again, when you got new guys coming. And, and you know everything is circular around. But the one thing that I, that I just try to you know keep those guys positive because sometimes when that happened, I should be the guy who's going up because I was hitting pretty good. And then you don't move nowhere, and so you got you got to talk to that guy. Say hey, maybe you know hey, I want you to finish here. I want you to thinking about this year and next year in turn care of myself. And that's what I did. And those guys understand pretty good. And the new draft that we got this year was tremendous. Everybody you know seems to to fit pretty good during the season. And we're coming, we're coming along. The coaching staff did a tremendous job. Andy helped me a lot. Uh, Matos with the pitching and and, and, and DY. Uh, I was with the hitting, so so I think it was a, it was a great, great, great group. Uh, completely the guys. That's that's one of the great things is when you have a manager and you have a coaching staff who it's one thing to have guys that you look up to and they were successful at every level and they just were studs and you can read about them on Google. But you know what? When you go through the struggles and like you said, you could be the best hitter of the year, but they don't have room for you at the next level to be able to keep that guy calm and to keep that guy motivated. So they say that, hey, this is a stepping stone. This isn't the big leagues. So when you get to that next level, there's an upper level to get to so that's a very important lesson especially from a guy like Edgardo Alfonso to sit back and tell you so I'm glad those kids were able to listen and learn from you so much and I think Figgy me and you speak for each other that you know he should still be the coach I mean it it sucks how it ended there and you know it's it is cool you're going to the Hall of Fame but we do think that uh you did do a terrific job with Brooklyn which is your hometown yes sir uh Lincoln High School same as my my mother did a terrific job with Brooklyn we do think you should still be coaching yeah I mean I mean too it was a surprise but you know I mean 
I don't I don't have uh, the power in my hands. You know, I mean, I was I was really surprised when that happened. But you know, what I mean, like I said, they they called the game and and they they got the new people, the new regime. So uh, it's baseball, like that. You know, I'm I'm happy because the guys really uh really uh you know many guys te- test me and and they 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 were surprised but they like it they 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 want me and and you know that's 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 may say something good about you that's what I, that's what I keep and and then and then I told the guys hey you gotta keep playing hard remember the stuff that we talk about it and stuff like that and keep keep performing the way you're supposed to you know when we think of Fonzie we think the Mets and obviously you went to the Giants and I actually met you my mom actually said she's gonna try and find a a picture of you signing a jersey a Mets jersey I had of you when you were in San Francisco and you struggled at first with San Francisco you picked it up in the second half of the season but was that adjustment weird because we think of you as a Met and then you go to the Giants I feel like fans would have loved if you were a lifelong Met for your whole career well no the fans me <laughs> me and my family right but um like I say this is business I mean uh, I mean that, that was like I said um I remember when I left from from the Mets to to the Giants that was a that was heartbroken for me broke my heart completely but you know I, I had I got to understand that this is a business you have to performing the way you try performing here and I my, my I kept my house here I went to uh, the west coast uh, by myself for uh, for quite, uh, for a couple months until I, I I get my family back so you know it was hard and the beginning is hard because I was thinking about New York I was thinking about family I was thinking about Mets I told my agent and I told I, I don't want to leave man I want to stay here I want I want I want to finish my career with the Mets you know I want to be Mets for life hey money man and and, and you know it was much different but it's kind of like frustrated for me because Dude, I want to stay here. I want to, you know, but you know, this business, and and we all we know we all know that, you know, I kept like I said, I kept my house here. I don't move from here. I could have moved somewhere else, but I still I, I keep my house here because I like New York. I like the Mets. I like the people, and and I feel New Yorker, you know. And once you go Bayside, you never go back. As as, as a little neck guy myself, <laughs> uh, love Bayside, yeah. Bay Terrace, Ben's Deli, Matzo Ball Soup. Uh, you know, it's a Brown family special. <laughs> one of my favorite spots. I go to that movie theater a lot. You got the reclining seats. Oh, I go. Yeah, I go. I go in there a lot. I go there. I, 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 you know what? The, the good thing that I have is Bell Boulevard. You can find anything, any restaurant, whatever you need is right here in Bell Boulevard. Oh, Bell Boulevard Bayside. is the best. And I'm, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. I'll run into that theater is awesome. They it actually used to be a dump and they, they very much uh, renovated it. And it's much nicer. Happier things are the 2000 Mets. It's the 20 year anniversary of that Subway Series Fonzie. And obviously I was nine years old. So the Yankees broke my heart. But that team was so fun. You had the 10 run inning. I remember June 30th, 2000. Ended with the Piazza homer. You were part of that. You had the single in a left field uh, that tied the game up. There were so many memories like that from that team, Fonzie. Can you just look back at that year and how much fun you guys had getting in the World Series? 2000, man. 2000. I don't know if you remember this, but we started the season in Japan. Yes, I do. Benny Akbayani, Grand Japan. Slam. Yep. That's correct. And that was when Ray Ordonez make his first error after 100-something games without an error. And 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 Japan, Ray Ordonez, it's a shortstop. It shouldn't and, count. And it then, shouldn't um, count if it wasn't in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I know, man. But um, you know, it was it was. I mean, I think I think I don't know if he, if, he, if I'm wrong, but I think the 1999 team was better than 2010. And 2010, we all, we went all the way to the World Series. Imagine how 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 close or the chemistry on the clubhouse was in 2000. That was that was amazing. I mean, I would say like I was telling my my PRs, I say Mike, you. May 
made my 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 job so easy in New York when you when you overcome from from the Marlins because everybody was focused on you. Everybody was concentrating on me, my Piazza and me. Quiet. I tried to do my job. So all the all all the attention was to my Piazza. So, but I always tell him that he made my job so easy. But you know what? The team that we have that year, man, it was it was amazing. I mean, we have a. The outfielders. Do you remember who who we had? The outfielders. Yep. I think it was Payton, De- Derek Bell, Jay Payton, Benny Avellani, Derek Hamilton, uh, Derek Bell, Jay Payton. I think it was Melvin T- Mora. Was Timo there. Perez. Timo Perez. That was yeah, a ragtag bunch, Fonzie. <laughs> yeah, man, it's amazing, unbelievable. But you know that team, we will all the way to the World Series. So I think the, those years was in, incredible. I mean, people don't think about that team in 2000 when we started in Japan. But we, you know, we went through, we went through a lot, uh, ups and down. And Bobby Valentine was the manager. He did. I think Bobby, to me, was one of the best guy who can be in New York for that time because Bobby is Bobby. You know, he knows the New York life, and he lives. You know, he's, he's from Connecticut, so so he's he's style to to guide a team. It was so different than than anybody else. And I, I always talk to him, and I appreciate. It. Bobby was the guy who told you uh, when you're supposed to do better because the team's going around you, blah, blah, blah. And that was Bobby Valentine. He he showed me a lot. He teached me a lot. And it's something that I always appreciate him. About the chemistry, when you talk about somebody who's all about chemistry, Bobby V is at the top of the list. So having to uh, juggle all those different egos and personalities in a clubhouse, you know, he's a, in a world of his own when it comes to that. He's such a great personality. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, who's the toughest pitcher you ever had to face? Man, I think everybody, dude. I mean, <laughs> you just... Even 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 you, Fee. Hey. <laughs> I think I'm, I think I, I I think I faced you a few times, right? Uh, you know what? In my career, I I, think. I'm afraid to look it up because I don't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think. I, no, but, but going back to that question, I think. I mean, every every guy and every guy on the big leagues, you do. I mean, it's it's kind of tough. I mean, if if I told you, you know, the guy that I that I don't want to I don't want to face in much when I when I was playing, it was Tom Glavin. Guy throwing like 90 miles an hour. I don't want to face because every time that I face him is awful for you. That was the guy and, and Andy Petty. You know, those those two lefties that I cannot. I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, every time that I saw those guys start, I say, oh my God. And I'm almost going to the man and say, don't put me, don't put me, to, don't put me in coach because with those guys, I don't, I don't have no chance. And that was tongue loving and, uh, and uh, Andy Petty. You only batted a thousand off me, so oh. whatever. It's one for one. <laughs> what, is it one, a home run? One for one. one. No, a single. A, a single. single. Oh. A, a single, no RBI. <laughs> Uh, no RBI. And probably, so- broke and probably broken bat. <laughs> I tell you that. Hey, I tell you what. It died a hero, you, right? You keep trying to gas him up, Fonzie. <laughs> get, him, get him excited. Uh, last one for you. <laughs> what do you think of this Mets team? I mean, they have a lot of hype going into this year. Some people are saying maybe a Subway Series again. What do you think of the 2020 Mets? Well, I don't know about Subway Series, but I think the, the Mets got a great, great, great fit this year. They have uh, everything they need. Um, like we always say, hopefully, and th- uh, I pray to God that everybody's healthy. I think the Luis Luis Rojas is is the great guy to have in for for that kind of group. The guy I'm looking forward. I think it's gonna be exciting. Uh, I've been gonna go to a couple games to uh, to this season. I might I might do a little bit ambassador with the Mets uh, this year again. But I, I I tell you what, man. I mean, looks looks good. I think every everybody is 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 gonna is gonna you know put some good numbers and hopefully, like I say, everybody stay healthy. It's gonna be. I don't know if it's gonna be a subway series. I don't know about the Yankees, but I know the Mets are looking good. Looking 
looking pretty good this year. Love it. Shots fired. Yeah, the Yankees aren't getting there. The Mets are. Hey, 20-year anniversary. Let's that's see a, what that's happens. That's what I like to hear. Uh, Edgardo Alfonso, you know, you'll be at many games, and you'll be there May 17th. You're getting inducted in the Hall of Fame. I'm sure me and Figgy will be there yes, rooting you on from the stands. You can follow him on Twitter at EAlfonso13 on Instagram and Fonz9 on Twitter. One more I have to ask. Have you met Henry Winkler? The Fonz. The, the have Fonz. you met the Fonz? I'm, I'm very curious about this. No, uh, people always tell me about that. And you know what? I, I think, I don't know, I don't, I think it was one reporter tell me, you know who's that guy? I say, I heard about it. I heard it was a horse, too. And <laughs> and a horse name, too. And, and then, you know, I thought people called me like that because it was really difficult to then pronounce my name, because Alfonso. <laughs> So, and then I find out after then, you know, that's, that's cool. I like it. Well, thank you. Yeah, here's where we, like we're going to get Henry Winkler to show up to his Hall of Fame day, and it's going to be the – you're both going to wear leather jackets and put your thumbs jacket. up and say, hey, let's make <laughs> yeah, that Yeah, yeah, the Fonz, yeah. There we go, the Fonz. Fonzie, appreciate you coming on uh, the debut of Amazing But True, man. We'll talk to you soon. Gracias, papi. Guys, uh, I wish you all the best, nothing but the best, and then hopefully we can talk, we can talk later on uh, sometimes. And that is a wrap for the debut of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. And thanks to Jake for producing the show and associate producer Alex Camerata on the ones and twos. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Rate us five stars. Write a nice review, will you? Or Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We will be back next Monday before our big season preview show on March 23rd. And beginning March 30th, Figgy, guess what? What? They get two episodes a week from us. That's right. For now, it's Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa, signing out. We'll talk to you all next week. Peace.